Hello, this is Tushta Krishna Das, and you're listening to ISKCON Denver podcast, where you can hear all of our classes and kirtans. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others. Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. yogi literature you will get some monetary help then I give you permission that you can print it but my standing request is this amongst yourselves there should be there should not be any disagreement whatever you do joint consultation because our center of activities is Krishna for Krishna's sake we can sacrifice our life wealth words intelligence that's exactly what you just said to Gargamuni in the other letter of course, as individuals, we have sometimes disagreements, but that should be adjusted, keeping our central attention to Krishna. So what are the things that he, that he mentions? Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah, just, you can just call it out. Life. Yeah. And, and he... There's the one main goal. And so all sacrifice the master, the, the enjoyer, the, um, the uh, sacrifice. <clears throat> and I found it interesting that he's saying words. He's saying that we sacrifice our words. And, and, and we can see in this pastime that this whole, this whole commotion started, yes, because Daksha was feeling some resentment about um, his, his daughter marrying Lord Shiva. At the same time, he, he took it into words. He put that, put that resentment into words. He, he chose to speak his mayam tapa uchate. So austerity of speech can truthfully and beneficially and in avoiding speech that offends. One should also recite the Vedas regularly. So in, in the purport, Prabhupada, is, he's, he elaborates saying that when speaking in spiritual circles, one's statements must be upheld by the scriptures. One should quote from spiritual authority to back up what he is saying. At the same time, such talk should be very pleasurable to the ear. By such discussions, one may derive the highest benefit and elevate human society. And in the Nectar of Devotion, he also describes the three classes of devotees. The first class devotee is expert in the study of relevant scriptures. He is expert in putting forward arguments in terms of those scriptures. He can present very nicely conclusions with perfect discretion and consider the ways of devotional service in a decisive way. He understands perfectly the ultimate goal of life. So I was reflecting on how it's not saying that argument is bad. There's nowhere that says having an argument is bad. Also in the 10th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, um, you'll see in the purport, uh, it's the 32nd verse, in the purport, well, the verse itself says that the conclusive truth, Krishna says, I am the conclusive truth. Prabhupada elaborates, Prabhupada elaborates saying that, there, he explains in the purport that there are three different types of logicians' argument, ways of arguing. And one is the conclusive truth. 
And I was reflecting, well, not, none of those three have to do with name-calling, judging the character of a person or their intention. And so when it comes to uh, austerity of speech or um, sacrificing one's words, what does that really mean? Um, and in the Bible, it's explained in James, James 3, there's a, an analogy that is spoken about that we, there's the bits of the horse's the bridle in the horse's mouth, that it's put in the horse's mouth and it turns the whole animal. And another example is given in that same verse in the Bible that just like the, the rudder of a ship, the ship is huge, but the rudder is just one small thing. But just from that little small thing, it turns this huge ship. So the tongue is just a small little part of the body, but it makes big, big shifts. And then, and then, and then also, um, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And out of, this, out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. And he, said, he says, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. So, um, reflecting on this, this austerity of speech, Bacho Vigam, Manasakrota Vigam, in the vector uh, of instruction, it's the very first verse, that it's the rudder of the whole body, the whole self. And I just want to bring up some very practical things about speaking truth or austerity of speech or sacrificing words. And um, so when it comes to communication, communication experts actually say that most miscommunication happens in the decoding process. So there's the, there's the person who is expressing, and they sort of encode it. Well, I feel or think a certain way, and the way that I encode it or explain it is presented. Then the receiver decodes it. So they, they take, they hear that, and they decode it and receive it. So the, it's said that expert communication, communication experts say that most miscommunication actually haps, happens in the decoding process or the hearing. So how we're hearing others, someone could be communicating very clearly, but how are we hearing it? So that's one, one point I wanted to make about speaking or communicating in the most truthful way, the austerity of speech, austerity of communication. Um, the second thing is, is, you know, there's actually a way of arguing. It's not that arguing argument is bad. We have to understand that argument is, the goal of argument is for progress, not for victory. Not to win, but to actually make progress. So we see that when we're working together, like Srila Prabhupada is saying to this devotee, he's saying, you have to work together. And even though he says there should be no disagreement, meaning there, when there is a disagreement, we should really understand how do we argue so that it's most progressive. And so I was looking it up, actually. There's, there's, um, there's a, a, a hierarchy, or how to, how to, a hierarchy of disagreement. There's a way 
how to argue. And there, there is a chart, a pyramid, and at the very tip of the pyramid is the, the bullseye refuting the main point. So to I first identify what is the main point that, that's being argued here. And as you see, it, it progressively goes lower. The most, persu the most, persuasive, um, most persuasive argument is that which is backed by facts or shastra. And it's focused on the main point. Now, if we see how someone's, the point that someone's arguing, if we see that there's a mistake in that argument, we explain why it's mistaken and we use quotes. Okay, so that's called ref refutation. We're refuting that point. Then there's a counter argument, right? There's counter argument, contradicts and then backs it up with reasoning and or supporting evidence. Okay, so then once there's contradiction, but once they're even lower on this pyramid, you'll see the next step down is responding to the tone of the person. So we're not actually addressing the main point, but we're saying like, why are you getting angry? Well, you don't seem very like, you're, you're, you're angry right now. That has nothing to do with the, the argument. It doesn't have anything to do with it. The main point is what we need to focus on. And in sacrifice, if all sacrifice is meant for Krishna, then we have to really see why are we arguing. So then lower than responding to the tone of the author is attacking the, the speaker personally. Oh, of course, of course he would say that because he's blah, blah, blah. He's nah, 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 something about the person. And then even below that is name calling. So we have to see, the, the lower that we go, the less persuasive and the less productive it is. We have to be very clear about how to argue, what entails an argument, and what's the purpose of the argument. And once we get to judging someone's character, um, being reactive with their tone, call, um, call, uh, yeah, attacking them personally or name calling, we're, we're done. There's no more argument and there's no more progress. And that's just academic argument. That this is like an actual like hierarchy grid chart of academic argument. That is, that it's a form for progressive argument. And I think it's really important that all devotees are careful because, as you see, Lord Shiva was not happy about this counter -cur cursing and counter cursing. They were basically judging each other, name calling. It was chaos. There wasn't any progress. And when it comes to speaking the truth, we have to really see how do we really know what's in someone's heart? How can we really judge another person? Only Krishna can really judge. Now, what we can identify and how we can be truthful in our austerity, our sacrifice of words is this. We can use facts. Now, an assertive way to bring something up to someone is it's, there's a simple formula you first start with observable concrete facts yesterday you told me in the morning you would come home at six o'clock you came home at seven o'clock that's just a fact that's an observable concrete fact you start with the w the what the fact and then the next thing you go to is i 
I. So how I feel. Now, feelings are a fact. Feelings are true for the person who's feeling them. You can't argue a feeling, really. But it's a fact. I feel angry. But if you say, you're ir irresponsible, that's not truth. That's not truth. You may think the person's irresponsible, but that's not truth. If you want to actually think and, and speak truthfully, then the truth is that I, just, I feel angry, and how I think you are is one thing, but how I feel is a fact. So to speak in a very truthful way is an observable fact, how I feel, and then what I need in this situation. I really, I really need for me to have a trusting relationship with you that you will show up at um, the time that you say you will. Simple. It's the WIN formula, W-I-N. It's from a book called Relationships at Work. You'll see in any communication books that very similar formulas. So that's another point. And, and sort of piggybacking off of that, that when we're, ex and when we're expressing feelings, Yes, they're subjective, but they're truth for the individual, and we need to state them in a way that's the most truthful. When we're expressing a perception, we, it's an awareness, but we're, it's, we have to be aware of the fact that we're, we're limited in our subjectiveness, that we can perceive this much, and right now I'm perceiving this, but later on I might perceive something else, or this person might be perceiving something. So to be truthful in our expression, of our perception means I'm experiencing this. I'm experiencing this person being this way. But when we say I'm experiencing this per person th as this, we're being most more truthful in our speech than saying they're cheating. How do you know they're cheating? You can't 100% say they're cheating unless you have it on video and you're, you know their intentions. But we so you have to express it in a way that's most truthful is, I'm experiencing this person as being dishonest. That's how you have to say it. If you want to be completely uh, sacrificial and austere in your, have the austerity of speech and truthful, we have to be careful about how we say it. Now, expressing principles, they're, they're objective, they're concrete. Expressing facts, objective, concrete. And then the fourth thing is, when you need to vent, if you have a complaint about a person, you either go directly to that person and you speak as in this formula I just mentioned before. And if you feel that that won't work or, or you tried it and you didn't feel like it was productive, then you go to that person's superior and you speak in a truthful way. So those, I was thinking, you know, this chapter is so... Uh, clear to me, I was just thinking, you know, how much we see on social media um, of people arguing, and you can see, like, it starts with the main point, oftentimes, we'll start with the main point, and then, da 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 you can see that it just gets lower, and at a certain point, they're like, you think I don't know that? And I just think, we're done. <laughs> no more argument. Now it's just attacking, and counterattacking, and defending. So you see that happen here in this, in this pastime with Daksha and, and Lord Shiva's followers. And so to be really uh, mindful and how, you know, Srila Prabhupada yesterday was the anniversary of 
Srila Prabhupada establishing concretely um, legally ISKCON as an institution. And he was very clear about the purposes of this. And when he speaks to his devotees, he emphatically asks them to please cooperate. And so to have these sort of like uh, frameworks, how to argue, communication, assertiveness, expressing in a truthful way, these can really help us um, cooperate and stay focused on our on our duty, on our on our service, on our sacrifice to satisfy Krishna together, like these um, progenitors of mankind have carried on. Even the storm came, da da da, da they carried on. And so I'll just stop there and take reflections or questions, additions. Thank you for elucidating these difficult points. So, according to your explanation, the problem wasn't Daksha, the problem was that Nandishwara had a trouble decoding what Daksha said. Daksha was just a sweet guy trying to express himself in the best possible way. Right? No, actually, in, in prior conversations, we discussed how uh, I remember Nitai Prabhu and Sonny Press Prabhu in the classes we were talking about how Daksha, <clears throat> he never really um, cleared that grudge he had. And so we could say, yeah, it was basically Daksha not really dealing with that grudge he was holding with Lord Shiva. He was really upset that his very um, refined, beautiful daughter was married to someone who had ashes rubbed all over his body and hung out with ghosts. He, he was not happy about that, and, and he, he just didn't clear it. So it was this sort of thing that was lingering on and on, resentment, uh, dissatisfaction, and it just came out. So yeah, I mean, no, it's not necessarily because Nandishvara, but see, that's the thing is, it, it, it sort of like deteriorated exponentially, right? Started with Daksha, not really dealing with his resentment, him sort of venting it out by offending Lord Shiva, and Nandishwara, as we discussed, he was thinking, he was really feeling, this is my master. How dare you offend my master? And offend, uh, you know, how dare you criticize him? So in some ways, yes, there was his duty to, to stand up for his master. At the same time, Lord Shiva wasn't really that happy about it. And so it's, it's not, it's not, you know, it's, he, he, Nandishwara could have, decided not to say anything, and they could have just left. But that's the thing is you can, one can either defend, one can either stand up for this when someone's being criticized, the Vaishnava, one can stand up, defeat that person in argument, or walk away. 
leave that place immediately. Huh? Oh, cut out their tongue, yeah. That was the other option. <laughs> so, yeah. But he could have, you know, he had choices too. But it's just, it's like one person does one thing, chooses to do one thing, then another person in response chooses to do another, and then another person chooses that, and then you just see how it gets this sort of like complicated mess that just happens. And at any point, we could just decide, I'm not, I'm not, I'm out of here. No. Or we could decide, no, it's not okay. But I don't know, does that satisfy? Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking about the idea of um, gaining some satisfaction out of arguing like this. It just reminds me of that example of the camel who eats thorns, and it's really painful, but he likes the taste of the blood, and. Uh, it reminds me about like it's always painful to to argue with others because no one's gonna admit defeat and it just gets worse and worse and creates enmity but there is some taste in it there's like some rasa of like I don't know what it is but it's just like perverted anyway that's just my thought There's actually a, um, a thing <laughs> called uh, adrenaline. Like, you can be addiction, addicted to dr adrenaline. Adren adrenaline can be addictive. Sometimes we have just patterns of, of pa whatever conflict in our past that um, conditioning our patterns where we're accustomed to conflict or drama. And it can, it can release in, in ourselves and it, it's some people believe that it can be addictive uh, I had a qu question um, well I guess kind of a ref reflection also um, you were explaining how if we have a problem with someone um, well, I guess it was implied that or yeah implied that rather than going to our peers which is seems more like gossip gossiping um, we should go directly to that person or the person's superior so then I was thinking of an of, um, interesting pastime with uh, one, one disciple went to, of Srila Bhaktisiddhanta Sarasita Thakur went to Srila Bhaktisiddhanta and was expressing um, some complaints that, the, that he had with a godbrother. And so um, Gorgovina Maharaj tells this story that for... 30 minutes he was just going on and on about this godbrother and these negative things 
and Srila um, Saraswati was listening patiently and then at the, at the end he said to the devotee you know for half an hour you've spoken all bad things about your god brother isn't there anything nice about him he said he's sings nice kirtan right he's a, he's a nice kirtaniya he sings nice kirtan and um, so from that that seemed like he, making the point that we should instead of seeing the bad we should see the good so my question is how do we know if a complaint or something you know concern we have about a devotee is valid or whether we should just tolerate it and just see the good and just keep moving forward Sometimes when we feel the urge or the need to complain about something, it's um, driven by an emotion in the situation. And we, the very, very first thing we need to do is go into that emotion and really pinpoint exactly why we're feeling that way and just accept that we're feeling that way. I think a, a, a lot of us get blocked. Well, I say I think, but based on what I've learned um, in my own training is that we tend to get stuck because we don't think it's justified or we don't think it's okay. Oh, it's not okay to feel angry with this devotee. Oh, it's not okay to um, disagree or it's not okay to see, see the faults. And so we sort of block ourselves from making much progress in that. So to just not even judge it and just feel it, I know it sounds a little wishy-washy, but this is actually what um, people who do psychologists and people who actually do emotional mental body work the very, very first thing is just acknowledge the feeling in a non-judgmental, accepting way will prevent you, I promise, it will prevent so many possible offenses if we just do that inner work. It's huge. I just like can't tell you how huge it is because most of the time when we're really concerned about something, it's moving us in a certain way. And just because we're feeling emotion doesn't invalidate the concern. It just means when we first deal with the emotion, then we'll be able to bring up the concern in a clean way. And that's so important. If we really want to make progress and be productive, we have to be able to present it in a clean way. But in order to get to present it in a clean way, we have to really first just go into ourselves identify the emotion, see what's surrounding it, what does it remind us of, what does the circumstance remind us of, maybe it reminds us of something, some way we were treated in the past, and sort of like bringing this out more, and seeing like, oh, this isn't just about this incident, it reminds me of this, that happened before, and to really just look at all those things first, and once we find ourselves in a place where we're not too much too feelings too dramatic we feel like okay I've, pr I've processed enough where i'm feeling level then yes then we can bring up the concern 
Um, was that, there's something else that you were asking. Oh, yeah. See the good, yeah. And that's the thing is, we may see something objectable and observable about the person's behavior, right? Like, I'm noticing that this person went to, like, I was there, I saw this person say to that person, oh, yeah, you're great, you're amazing, and then go to another person and say, oh, yeah, did you know this about them? That's an observable fact. I saw it happen. So one thing to note is, I know that that behavior could happen to me. I know that that behavior is not pleasing to Krishna, to Prabhupada, and to my spiritual master, to that person's spiritual master. I know that that's going to destroy the community spirit and Sangha. And those are observable, objectable facts and principles. But when we judge that person's characters, they're a bad person. They're a bad devotee. They're, they're dramatic, they're gossiping in, in a judgmental way, then we're entering into a very draining place. We'll be drained. Our energy resources as a person will be just drained. But we can hold on to the principle and ob observable facts, and based on those things, we can make our own discretionary judgment on how we want to respond and, re and react to that situation. And we can choose. You know what? I don't really want that to happen to me. I don't want to be involved in it. I'll just take a step back, and I won't involve myself too much with this person. You know? And let Krishna be the judge, because Krishna is very attentive to every little thought and action and movement that each living entity is making. We don't have to be that judge. Now, if it's our duty, like if we're in a position where, okay, this is, you know, I'm overseeing a certain department or area or, or part of the community or a group of people and I'm seeing that this action is creating this result and I know that according to the principles this is, this is destructive, then I will address it in the best way I, I see possible, that it is actually my job to address it and if I don't, I'm not doing my job. So that's an, another thing, but I, I really think that we have to be clear about what is my circle of control or job, my duty, what's my duty, what's my circle of control, what's my circle of influence, and beyond that, I just don't even go there. You know, I can take note, like, oh yeah, that really, that was really crappy. You know, just take note. I'm not going to do that. And I don't want, I'm not going to be around it. We can just be clean that way. Is that, okay. I was just saying along the same lines that when I've noticed kind of that that fire in me, that like fiery reaction to us when I see something wrong or when I see something that I don't agree with, and then I like react to it, it it, it really um, is an opportunity, like just kind of observing my relationship with emotion, like in this past year. And just seeing that emotion, if I have, there's emotion around a certain thing, it really gives me an opportunity to look inside, like, why am I so disturbed by that activity? 
Because a lot of times I may judge someone that is doing something that's not even objectively bad. It's just like something I disagree with or, you know. Um, and then in regards to your emotion, I w or in, to emotion and what you were speaking about emotion, I was thinking of a really nice example in Mahabharat when they're fighting on the battlefield and um, Ashvatthama releases the Narayan weapon. And this Narayan weapon, after he chants the mantra and releases the weapon, thousands and thousands upon thousands of arrows and bludgeons and spears and all these things start falling from the sky like fiery comets. And they start attacking the Pandava soldiers. And, and Krishna, knowing you know, the Narayan weapon, because he's Narayan himself, he says, okay, everyone lay your weapons down and lay flat in obeisances on the ground. And so then Arjuna's like, okay, he does it, and like other devotees do it, or other Pandavas do it. But then Bhima's like, no, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to fight it. And, and the more he fights, then all the Narayan weapons just start focusing their power and their attack on him. And so this thing about emotions just like that. It's like, I'm going to fight it, rather than just like, embrace it and, and, and because I think my duty is to fight and so then Bhima, Bhima just kept fighting but then when he like threw his weapons down Krishna actually had to tackle him down and then after he like went down the Narayan weapon just disappeared so in the same kind of way like emotions come and then I'm just going to like fight the emotion rather than okay let it let me experience it let me see it let me listen to it and then I'm able to actually do my duty clearly and cleanly We had something from Bhagavad Guru also. Who should go first? Okay. So Bhagavad Guru says, <clears throat> he, he gave a quote from an interview with Srila Prabhupada in 1975. Srila Prabhupada, if two persons are in an argument, the man, the one party, he becomes angry. That means he is defeated. Why one should become angry? It is the argument, logic. They should continue. If you do not agree to logic, then no argument can make progress. Uttama Shloka. Shula Prabhupada, if one does not agree to logic, does that mean that they are under the influence of Tamaguna? Prabhupada. That means he is animal. Logic is meant for learned man and, and uneducated man. They want to force. Yes, you must do it. With point of revolver, you must do it. An educated man... They argue on logic. That is the difference. So in the Bhagavad Gita, um, Krishna, he mentions in the 10th chapter that he is, of, of all forms of communication, he's, the, he's Vada. He's the definitive conclusion. So whenever there is a, uh, a debate uh, on, on spiritual truth between the different camps, um, the followers of Nyaya and Vaisheshika and Karma Mimamsa and Uttar Mimamsa and all these things in, in traditional um, Vedanta, well, I mean, before Vedanta, even just like Sanatana Dharma culture, they would all agree on the principle of the discourse. And that was established by the school of Nyaya, the school of logic. And it's mentioned like super, super quickly in that purport in the 10th chapter of Bhagavad Gita that there's, there's vada, which is actually like, if you break it down, it means that two people come to the conversation, a discussion, and their, their express purpose is to establish the truth. They actually want to know what the truth is, and they're discussing it so they can actually establish the truth. 
and they come from a perspective, you know, like we find so many examples uh, in our Sampradaya or in a Baladevidyabhushan or somebody defends our Siddhanta or like Ramanujacharya and his disciples like defeat Mayavad or Mahaprabhu establishes this. They have their own perspective, but they actually have to follow the rules of Vada, which are very carefully laid out in the Nyaya scriptures. There's a lot of things you can't do. And most of those things um, invalidate almost all kinds of discourse that we see nowadays. Like, uh, if you look at like a pol political discussions, <laughs> they're awful. They're awful. They're in the mode of passion or ignorance. So that's, that's Vada. Actually, higher than that is if the person already knows the truth, like they're Krishna, and you just sit down and you surrender to them. You know, I give up, Guru Maharaj, I give up, Krishna. Just tell me what the truth is. You don't, you don't even really uh, try to find the truth. You just accept that it is the truth. You just try to figure out how you can understand it. That's the highest. But if you don't have that, then you have to have vada. If you don't have that, then basically you're attached to being right. And you try to, uh, that's, I think it's called um, jalpa. You, you, try to, you try to establish your position because you're, you're sure that you're right. And that's where most people kind of function. It's a mode of passion. Form of, and if you, if you um, in any kind of discourse among learned persons, if you show any tendency toward that, you'll be, the, your, your position is considered null and void and it's over. The discussion's done because you've, you've operated at the mode of passion level, right? Because you're not actually interested in truth. You're actually interested in establishing what you've already agreed on. The, the one thing that this level can do is if there's a bystander who's actually at a higher level, they can stay, um, if they can stay neutral and not, find, not take sides, they can see actually the, the fault that comes out from both sides who tend to be attached to their own point of view, and they can learn something. But usually they just get swayed one way or another and it becomes emotional. Lower than that is you don't even care about the argument, you just want to bring the person down. That's called vitanda. That's what Daksha was operating on. He didn't care about the truth of the situation. He didn't care about etiquette. He wanted to crush Shiva because he had a problem with him. That's actually tamasic. So name-calling, insulting. Krishna says in the 18th chapter, one who's expert in insulting others. That's, yeah, ad hominem attacks. That's what you just discussed in your class. That's, that's all mode of ignorance. It has, nothing, it has no place in even like semi-civilized discourses. What to speak of like scriptural debates. You'd be a laughing stock if you talk like that, you know? You and your whole line would be just shamed. <laughs> so that's actual culture. That's actual um, getting together to establish truth. If you don't have, you know, Krishna or an agreed-upon Acharya present, you have to actually present your agreed-upon forms of evidence. I'm going to argue from Vedanta and Bhagavad Gita. And do you accept that? Yes, yes. Okay, good. So we'll talk about that only. And then for like 15 days or something, you hash it out until somebody agrees, okay, you know what? You're right. <laughs> so there's, no, there's nothing like that today. Nothing, you know, in the, pub, in the public sphere. There is sometimes between devotees, you know, they'll have like real, or even followers of like, some Advaitins still do that, some, some impersonalists, but not so many. So just to give a taste of what actual discourse is supposed to be. Thank you. So, uh, you know, Daksha was angry and um, P 
people get angry. So sometimes it's said that um, because of you know their previous hurt, their emotions of being hurt, then they're expressing anger, and uh, they're a, a victim. You know, they've been a victim. They've been hurt, angry. But in the um, Gita, it explains that you know they get into the mode of passion and they're you know contemplating the objects of the senses and then getting attached and then things don't work out the way they want and then they get frustrated and angry so you may say okay so you're saying you're angry because of such and such a reason right now how to help them Okay, sure, maybe something did happen in the past, but how to help understand the um, position of the heart, what we did, you know, to generate all these things, emotions, you know, not like judging the person, but helping them to understand, you know, what Krishna was explaining to Arjuna in a way that they might get out of the, you know, the victim scene, and just saying, well, you know, it's just because of hurt, and and not uh, looking introspectively to see how does this all come about. So, how would you try to help somebody in that situation? I think it's important to see what what's our adhikar in this situation. Like, how much can we really do? Um, you know, even Shri Prabhupada, when he explains the three uh, the three um, three kinds of devotee, the three stages of devotees, the the um, sort of perfect, most perfect devotee is one that can actually help because they're clean of these, they're, they're clear in what the scriptures say and they can assert. This is an argument but I also think it's relevant in this situation. And then the second stage is someone who has firm faith and maybe not can't quote so much and can't, doesn't have enough sort of study backing them and then the third the third stage is one whose faith is weak and doesn't have the the solid the studying and the knowledge and so we have to really see what our state and condition is and if we can have any uh, influence in a positive way without us getting dragged down from it that's the first thing i think and then the second thing is if we see that we do have some, like, okay, um, I have some training and coaching or counseling or mentoring or something. Um, I know or I have experience in my own life. I can mentor a little. Um, then when someone is in a situation, we do have to sort of see how much is there for them. Like if it's, if it's after... 30 years of not really um, having the, 
the sort of mental emotional care and processing that it could be sort of something that's bigger than we can really help with but if it's something like I mean we could try but if it's something like you know even just simply hearing someone attentively and empathizing with them can do wonders you know not giving them advice not uh, you know telling them well you know you should really look at the good but just really being like oh yeah I hear like I'm hearing you you're really angry about this like it made you feel angry that that thing that happened and just to sort of help them go further into it without pushing it away because like I was saying before we have a tendency in general to resist anger inside ourselves because of what we hear Shastra saying it's not good right it's not good it's a gate to hell that's pretty intense I don't want to feel angry so what we can we're actually sending this message to someone that you feel angry I can understand why you feel angry in that situation I can totally understand that and then it's like oh I have permission to just feel my feeling oh okay that can be really really helpful or no I can understand why you'd feel really sad because that happened because that happening oh like I'm allowed to feel sad yeah you can feel that and then what happens is, is once that it's like a storm like once it moves through once it's accepted it can move through and then a person won't won't as likely act off of that emotion so just us simply simply being with the person being present with the person and hearing them now when it comes to like them being offensive and it's not then we can really hone back on you like you're feeling like this in this situation you are you got into that situation and then once they get past that stage there's actually um there's like a I'm sorry I don't want to go too late but there's 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 it's like a, a, a sort of like a, an, a visual that that charts out the stages that we that we generally go through before we reach this broader picture where we realize like oh I got I was put in that situation so that I could learn dot 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 the spiritual view like oh I can realize I must have done that before to someone in in that consciousness and now I need to learn this oh that spiritual view before we get to that view that that view oftentimes the very first step is the emotions we'll, we'll blame others we'll blame ourselves it's like a pendulum blame myself blame others blame myself but then when we get to this point of the center point okay I'm not blaming anyone anymore and I'm accepting my emotions then second the second stage is practical if I did something if I would have done this it would have happened not happened like that so when we start to ex have that practical responsibility is the next stage like once we accept the emotions we process then we get to practical responsibility then we can go to spiritual responsibility so when we speak with people we can help them see like the very first stage is really helping them just be with the emotion accept it process it then once you see that's clear then we can ask them a question what other things do you think that had you done it might have had a different outcome then you can ask them that if they're ready for that you can ask them 
well, yeah, I could have, you know, yeah, they could be angry that they were exploited or, or hurt, right? I'm really hurt. Oh, yeah, I could have gone to someone and talked to them about it. I could have told, I could have reported it to da-da-da, or I could have just left. I could have said, I'm being mistreated, and I don't want to be here anymore. So then they can see practical responsibility. I chose to stick around. I chose to continue in that relationship with that person. Those are, that's a practical responsibility. And then beyond that is, okay, I see that I, that I was in this situation, and now I have this spiritual realization why I was in that, why, why I was put in that situation. Okay, so it's 11 after 9, and I want to respect our time. So, all glory to Srimad Bhagavatam, all glory to Srila Prabhupada.